disease is taking root at that time. And if we're not addressing it then, then we're getting the diagnosis later on. That's what we need to get people to understand is everybody's waiting. They're waiting for the diagnosis. That's the problem. All behavior makes sense. Not to say that all behavior is helpful or ideal, but when we understand the psychology of behavior change, the emotional backstory, and the way that the brain works, things that on the surface appear to be illogical begin to make sense, and we can use that understanding to start shaping true change. If you follow the fitness marketing model, it's like, here's this photo of me. I look this way because I eat these things and I do this exercise. You can just do that same thing too. And then when you show up and find out that's not going to work for you. All right, welcome back to another episode of Wellness Unfiltered. It's been a minute, I think is what the kids say these days. So <laughs> it's been a while since we've done something uh, like this. So uh, good to have you back, Caitlin. Chris is not actually herding cats today. I believe she's chasing her child somewhere. Maybe it's something to do with the last day of school. But uh, Mary, maybe your kids are, are slightly more independent and roaming wild and free. I'm not sure. <laughs> we, um, we homeschool, so they're used to just... Just doing do, doing doing their thing. Well, I usually like to let people introduce themselves and share a little bit about uh, your your backstory. So we're going to turn over to you and, and just shine a giant spotlight on you to you know say tell us everything you do and no pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my name is Mary Vogt. Um, my site's a, my site is just take a bite. Um, you know, I started my health journey many years ago. I mean, with my own health, but then more so when I started having kids. Um, started with my oldest, like noticing that something wasn't quite right neurologically. Um, we went to a lot of different doctors and um, things kind of clicked when she was about five and we started making some dietary changes and um, we took out gluten, we took out food dyes and it was like a light bulb went on in her brain and like her eyes lit up and it was, you know, pretty big. And then my next um, child had tons of food allergies and you know, so that opened that whole world for us is, you know, making huge dietary changes. And then my next one came along and I thought this should be great. But then she had <laughs> more feeding challenges than ever. Um, and I don't know if it's a taboo topic, but she had severe um, reactions to certain injections. And um, mm. she, I mean, I will say they, they almost took her life. Um she basically couldn't eat hardly anything. She was nursing at the time and uh, would just scream and scream. And the two of us could hardly eat anything. Um, she didn't gain weight for over a year. She's very malnourished. Uh, doctors wouldn't really help us. Um, they just looked at me like I was crazy. Um, mm. So it took a long time nursing her back to health. Then I had my fourth and I thought, surely can't <laughs> have any more challenges. Um but he too had some really severe feeding challenges, tongue ties and food reactions and things. Um, um, started learning about histamine intolerance and started changing diet to help him out. Um, and so through all that, I was like, you know, big into kids health. And um, I decided to go to the NTA to become a nutritional therapy practitioner because I had a food blog, you know, recipes and things, but so many parents reached out to me you know, they hear my story and stuff and they reach out to me wanting help. And I thought, I can't really help you, you know, legally. <laughs> I can't yeah, give yeah. recommendations or anything. So I was like, how can I help these people and, you know, make something out of it? So I became an NTP. Um, but also I knew even before I was an NTP that I also wanted to do hair tissue mineral analysis because I okay. had experienced 
so much help from that uh, myself and with my kids. And so basically, as soon as I graduated, I dove into HTMA and incorporated that in my practice. Um, yeah, so here we are today that, you know, I've had my practice for almost a couple of years now and yeah. work mostly with kids, but a lot of moms too. Yeah. So you kind of got pushed into this in one sense, um, with, with a lot of, I wouldn't say without a lot of choice, but it, here's what we often observe is when somebody goes down a particular path in terms of helping others pursue health, it's often because they're looking for answers to some of their own challenges that they might be facing. And, uh, sounds like you had a boatload of them with kids. Like, yeah. boy, that's, uh, <laughs> Because uh, very few people are going to be putting up their hands and going, hey, uh, I, I like this whole list of like long list of problems with my kids and, and how they eat and whatnot. And, you know, it's it's like the modern food environment that we have is not really necessarily conducive to health. And uh, you know, just before we, we went live, we were kind of talking offline and I mentioned that my little fella, he hasn't yet tasted refined sugar, despite people wanting to offer it to him. And we're trying to sort of keep that away from him for the time being. Uh, I'd rather, you know, be a little bit later in life when he discovers this, maybe when he has slightly more emotional regulation capacity. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I wonder if you, if, uh, actually, I'm kind of curious if you get a little bit of pushback here. You mentioned um, not necessarily getting a lot of help from doctors, and it, maybe it's because they don't necessarily understand what you're up against or, or what you're facing. It's not really in their, their skill set or their area of expertise. Yeah. I mean, I will say the doctor we were at at the time, I think had a little bit of a bias against us because we were delaying. We did a delayed schedule. Oh, um, yes. So he already kind of had this idea that we were, you know, those people. Um, those people. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm. This had been our second pediatrician. Um, and I, I mean, something was off anyway. Like when he would do checkups with my daughter, he really didn't even touch her or anything. It was like he just looked at her. And, um, and when I would go, like, you know, she doesn't have a wet diaper all day. Like she's dehydrated. She like, she's not eating. And you just look at her and say, Oh, she still has tears in her eyes. She's fine. She's not that dehydrated. Um, mm. Even though like she wasn't gaining any weight and obviously, you know, concerned mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. So there's a degree of it. Like maybe he just didn't want to deal with it. And there's a degree of it that I think he was like, well, if you're not going <laughs> to follow the rules, if you will, yeah, then. Yeah you know. Well, yeah. And we, we could, we, we could like address the elephant in the room here. The fact that we like have to have this conversation with sort of like some veiled language at times because of the, the sort of hostility towards people who, who maybe just want to go, I'm not so certain about all of these medical interventions and sort of some of the paths we've taken that we, we've perhaps forgotten some of the most important facets of health, maybe in the pursuit of like, what is the fastest, most high tech, most efficient way of doing this, forgetting that like, there was some pretty good stuff that people learned over the years of human history. Yeah. And we're kind of we're kind of losing connection with that. So I wonder if some of your work is almost like getting reconnected to some of the basic fundamental principles of human health. Absolutely. I mean, just our innate, you know, wisdom, our innate immune system and how it's supposed to function, how it's beautifully designed and created to to fight off illnesses and that we don't need to intervene so much or viewing illness as a scary, awful thing all the time. Obviously there are some severe illnesses, but you know, a kid getting the chicken pox isn't, <laughs> isn't the end of the world. Like that's okay. Um, and you know, there are benefits to getting sick. Sometimes it's a good workout for immune system. It's good to be exposed to those germs and things like that. Um, yeah. So I like to, you know, yeah, a little more free back. range. <laughs> yeah. Scale it back. Let the kids get dirty. Let them yeah. you know, not wash their hands every two seconds. Let them experience things. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's one of the challenges that we face too. Just um, we think about sort of the the immediate environment that's been created, um, in a sense. The, the the I hate to use the word term narrative, but there's kind of there's kind of a sense of that out there, like certain narratives that if you go down this path, you're this, and 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 the desire to just like throw a label at you. Well, if you don't do this, you're that, and so on. It's like, well, actually, I think if anything, it's like you're a concerned parent who wants the best for your children. Ultimately, that's what yeah. it is. You know. Um, one of the things I was kind of curious about, you mentioned uh, your first one that uh, some things weren't right neurologically. What what were you kind of uh, observing that wasn't normal? Because I'm, I'm a new parent and I'm, now I'm curious. Like, <laughs> I mean, my little fellow is pretty good, but uh, what st- stood out to you? Yeah. So, I mean, being my first, I didn't have much to compare it to, you know. Um, so she is like my oldest daughter. She's like crazy smart, smartest kid I know. Um yeah, she can read like five, 300, 300 page books in a day and remember every detail of them. Like she's just crazy. Um, so when she was really little, I didn't really notice much. And like, we would just pour through books and she loved to read and absorb things. And like, and she learned things so quickly. Um, but then when she went to preschools and I really started to see like, and you know, she was first, like she's the first child. So part of it I understood, but like, she wasn't really like playing with the other kids. She was just watching all the other kids and Mm. um, just some of her, you know, the social cues kind of thing. Um, Just in like her, her view of herself, like feeling like like her self-worth is related to her abilities, you know, because she knew that she was smart and things like that. Um, um, But yeah, just, just the little things like she couldn't, feed herself like I was still feeding her sometimes and she was like six years old because she's too distracted um unless I was reading her a book she didn't eat like just no sense of hunger and fullness you know unless there's some kind of distraction there um trying to get her to school every day (laughs) it was like you know tears to get her out the door and tears when she got home because just so much sensory stimulation and overwhelm um, so yeah, it was when she started going to school that I really started noticing it and it was like, you know, this is my first child, but yet some of these things don't seem normal. Like that. It's so hard just to get through a meal. Like I see other kids scarf down their food and run and it's like, yeah, you yeah. know, it was taking so long just to get through like a piece of toast, you know, it takes an hour. Like this shouldn't, this doesn't seem quite right. Um, yeah. and it, you know, it kind of escalated as she got a little bit older. Like I said, we, at five, we took out gluten and dyes and that made a huge difference. But we did, we worked with a psychologist, a functional neurologist, an orthodontist, a speech pathologist, an occupational therapist, um, you know, a lot of different avenues to try to, you know, is this a sensory thing? Is it like an airway thing? She was a mouth breather. Um, is mm-hmm. it neurological? You know, there's a lot of different <laughs> avenues that we um, explored. Um, and we're still still exploring them. Yeah, yeah. Is that what led you into like the, the picky eating? Because I know one of the biggest things that you talk about is picky eaters, which intrigues me, even though I don't have kids, because I also think that's like one of the adults' excuses. Like, well, my kids are super picky, so, you know. But And in, in the NTP group and in, in groups that we're in, people are constantly posting about, their kids being picky eaters. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's varying degrees of picky eating, obviously. Some of it is like a 
an oral issue or some of it's a sensory issue. Some of it is like a true picky, like strong willed kind of thing. Um, you know, like my oldest, she did have some oral issues. Like she had an amazing speech from early on, but at the same time she couldn't swallow very easily. She, you know, spit food out, um, you know, things had to be a certain texture. Um, and then, you know, I, I have um, like these four eating styles that I talk about too, like different kids view food differently. And I think sometimes that discrepancy between the way a parent views food and a child views food often is part of the problem. So you, know, you might have a kid that's very analytical in nature and they know exactly what they want and they like these, you know, 10 foods and they are completely fine eating them every day and they don't like surprises. They don't like variations. Like they don't like fun food. <laughs> like they don't want that. They just, these are the foods that I like. Feed me these foods and I'll eat just fine. But then there are other kids that are, you know, I call them more of the adventure eater. They want something new and exciting and fancy and fun every day. Um, there are some kids that are just really slow and that's just their nature. You know, they're just slow to get going in the morning and it's just how they roll. And then there's some kids, you know, like my oldest son, they just, they scarf their food. Like there's no stopping no matter how many times they say you need to slow down and chew, help your digestion. <laughs> like yeah, he's making yeah. his head stomach problems the most. I'm like, chew your food. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My- my little fellow, we have to, we have to like, we put like two squares of food on his, on his tray and it, he, he's double fisting it, like, <laughs> you know, and they're both down the hatch kind of thing. And so, yeah, we kind of, we kind of have to pay some, uh, pay some a little bit there, but you, know, you mentioned picky eaters. And I imagine this is probably one of the biggest things that um, feels really frustrating for a parent um, because maybe part of it is like we're an adult and we, it's hard for us to recall what it was like to be in that state, like as a child. Um, how, if someone comes to you and says, my, my child is a picky eater. That's like the first thing that comes out of their mouth. You know, where, where do you start with something like that? What do, what do you want to kind of explore and start to understand about that if you're going to help them? Yeah. So, I mean, I start out just asking questions to get kind of to that root a little bit. Like, is it something with their mouth? Because if it's their mouth, you know, I can't help you with that. Like, you need to see, you know, a speech pathologist or cranial sacral mm-hmm. therapist. You know, do they have a tongue tie? You know, that you need to get that addressed. Um, we dig a little bit deeper and ask questions like, is it more of a sensory thing? Is it textures? Is it certain situations? Um, and we, you know, keep going deeper. You know, what I do is more, is it a mineral imbalance? Like, is there something out of balance in the body that's making the child either crave certain foods or, you know, resist certain foods, you know, certain things are out of balance. Like there are a lot of kids that come to me. It's like, they won't eat any meat. Like I can't get them to eat protein. They won't eat any meat. Um, and it's usually a mineral imbalance. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So we just kind of dig deep to start with the root. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned like uh, you do like hair uh, or do you do hair analysis and I forget the other three, um, or is it something you send off to a lab and uh, maybe a little bit more about what that is? Yeah. Hair tissue mineral analysis. There we go. Um, yeah, it goes, <laughs> I mean, it goes to a lab. You, it's a small yeah, yeah. Hair sample and send it to a lab and then I get the results and interpret them. And it shows, you know, a whole range of minerals in your body. Um, it shows heavy metals and then the ratios of various minerals show like how certain systems in the body function, like your adrenals and your thyroid, mm-hmm. um, your blood sugar, things like that. You can see with your minerals and how they are balanced with each other. Um, hmm. and it's, 
you know, it's, it's from the tissue. So when you do blood work, it's in your blood and the blood, you know, you keep this narrow range. Your body's like, this is what mm. I need to survive. I have to keep everything finely balanced. Um, but your tissue is like a three month snapshot of what's in your tissues. Okay. Um, so it just gives you a bigger picture of what's really going on. So you might get your magnesium tested, you know, your blood, and it looks just fine. But then if you check your hair, it's like, oh, man, that's like really low or your body's just dumping all your magnesium. You're not holding on to it. Maybe you're super stressed or something else is out of balance. Um, so it just gives a really deeper picture of what's going on in your body. Yeah, I mm. find that interesting because I did some blood labs and they I think they mostly look normal, but then I did an HTMA test and like I had the four lows and I was like, common, sadly. And even amongst people that are healthy and my oldest son, when we did his first hair test, he had the four lows at like eight years old, oh, wow. you know, when it's like, that's like a complete burnout stage when you have calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, when they're all low, it's like a flat line, like I'm completely burned out. Um, and I, I do, I see it in kids, which I shouldn't, but I do see it in kids these days because we're so busy, we're so stressed, we're so malnourished, we're so, you know, bombarded with toxins and everything. So it's, it's hard to keep kids nourished these days. Mm. Isn't that you, you, crazy to have a kid that's got the four loves? Yeah. And it, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was obvious, like, I mean, his mood, his energy, everything. Like when he was little, he was my get up and go, like up at 6 a.m. every day. Let's go, mom. <laughs> like, let's do this hard worker. And then, yeah, he got around eight years old and it was like, like what happened? Like he's just no motivation to do anything. Like he'd play soccer and just wiped out. Um, and for him, I think it was he had so many food allergies and such a restricted diet when he was younger that it finally caught up to him. Right. Like, yeah. I can't keep this up anymore. Um, but gonna... oddly enough, oddly enough, a lot of my clients are like eight to 10 year old boys. So okay. I don't know if something happens at the age in boys, but I have a lot of clients in the age range. Mm. Wow. Maybe we had a comment come in from uh, Twitch here. It says someone had a babysitter that forced oatmeal and corn down their throats. So those meals gave me trauma for years. Uh, my stepdaughters and children uh, I met on dates showed similar pickiness from how food was introduced to them. That's a really interesting thought, actually, this idea of how how food is introduced to us and how that can shape our preferences or or not. And because I know some sometimes as parents, again, we're like frustrated, we're like we're busy, we're stressed. We're like, I don't have time for this. I just, just eat the darn food, kid. You know, maybe <laughs> and and trying to force that, but that's going to create sort of a more negative emotional response. Um, how would you approach uh, maybe introducing foods to kids? Because I know your, your your name is like, just take a bite. And so. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I didn't always have a healthy relationship with food myself growing up. I had disordered eating stuff. And then, you know, when I was first having kids, like I didn't understand like food psychology and the mental aspect and trauma and all that. And even when my youngest daughter was born and she was on that, like the severe feeding challenges and there were days that I was just like, Let me just take a bite of something because deep down you're like, like, I know you need this, you know, like you're so mm. concerned, you want them to eat and it's all, you know, meant for good, but it does cause that trauma. And like for my daughter, and I know we're still working through that a little bit because of how I handled things when she was little, because it, I was malnourished and I was under so much stress that I couldn't handle it well. Um, but so for introducing food to kids, um, you know, I definitely say take a laid back approach. 
and if you are, you know, if you're concerned, like, oh, they're not getting what they need, you know, work with somebody. It's really, you know, a great way to do it. They'll give you a better step-by-step, you know, way to address those like nutritional concerns, but just model good behavior. Don't keep the junk in the house. Like if if you have a kid that's like, oh, they'll only eat pretzels. Well, and don't have pretzels, you know, like <laughs> if it's not available, eventually food. the hunger kicks in or <laughs> yeah. Introduce the healthy foods right away. Keep that in the house, set good examples. Um, and if it's like, you know, there are some kids that then just won't eat. And if that's the case, then you need to like dig a little deeper. Like I said, then maybe there's something going on. Maybe their minerals are out of balance. Maybe they have some heavy metals. Maybe they have something going on in their gut that's out of balance. Mm. And I think one of the challenges with kids is, I'm thinking, of course, from the perspective of having a 14-month-old who I can't quite understand every word that comes out of his mouth just yet. (laughs) But, I mean, he has his ways of communicating, and and I really look at it like that. But trying to decipher the communication can Mm -hmm. be tricky at times. And, and, uh, you know, trying to, so what might somebody look for if, uh, what, what sort of, if some, let's say the kids like maybe under three years old, I don't know if you work in that age bracket, but mm-hmm. thinking about what, what maybe some indicators that they would see that maybe the kid can't express so clearly, but somebody might pick up on and go, huh, I, f- I feel like something's not right here, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And my kid can't quite tell me. Yeah. So, I mean, if your child's just acting really frustrated, I mean, they get really angry, like at meal times. Um, you know, just refusal to try anything. Um, they cry a lot if they won't sit at the table. Um, anything that just seems like they're they're really frustrated or upset, but they can't, mm. you know, verbalize that. Um, you know, like throwing food can be normal for little kids, but if they just, you know, shove everything out of the way and will never right. try anything, you know, that might mean there's something more going on. Um, right. I think I'm a little fella. Sometimes I, I think it's like testing boundaries where he'll look me like right in the eye and take a piece of food yeah. and then throw it <laughs> to to see what reaction I get. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, kids, kids can do that as well. And uh, Ghost Floof again shares a kid that says I only eat chocolate has always been spoiled a little bit too much. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, well, here, here's um, then we could ask maybe your thoughts on this. What about like kids and sugar? You kind of mentioned junk food and whatnot. What is your, uh, your experience um, sort of lead you to conclude about maybe kids being introduced to junk food, given the like sort of the food environment we live in and, you know, how ubiquitous it is at like parties and celebrations and things like that. But I, I'm thinking like in particular, like, what about a developing brain and developing gut and things like that? Uh, what, what effects can sort of junk food have? Yeah. I mean, obviously sugar can be very inflammatory to kids. And like I said, even young kids are having, you know, these huge mineral imbalances and malnutrition. So, you know, holding off like you're doing, holding off on and adding any of that in is going to be your best bet. Um, it's hard when you're out and about, you're at a party or something, and sometimes you just have to be that parent that says, you know what, we don't eat that. And I mean, still mm-hmm. to this day, we struggle with that a little bit. Like, we're what are you, a weirdo relatives. or something? <laughs> <laughs> we're those relatives who right, kids right, right. can't eat the food dye, you know, they can't eat the whatever, that can't eat the gluten. Um, and it under- just has to be a, you know, a family mindset of that's okay. Like, you know, yeah. not a big deal. It's just food. It's just, you know, how we choose to nourish ourselves and, and to always, you know, keep that mindset in mind of viewing it in a positive light. Like we are gifting ourselves you know we're giving our kids a gift Mm, by not 
introducing that food to them instead of seeing it as deprivation and like, oh, you can't have this. It's no, we are supporting your body. We're helping you feel your best. You have so much energy and you can think well and you can succeed and thrive. And, you know, that's why I always love to focus on with my clients. It's just that positive, not, you know, if I recommend like someone tries to eliminate gluten, we don't focus on, oh, you can't have these foods. It's just, let's focus on how we can nourish your body. What can you have? What, you know, what are we doing to make you feel your best? And just, so with kids too, just put it in that positive light that it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. I wondered how that would be working with parents. It, like if you, if you did have more kids that were coming to you and parents from like a sad diet, trying to change the, you know, make those changes. I know how hard it is with adults. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is it like getting adults to get their kids? Like, what, what is that like? Yeah. I mean, I do, I have a whole, you know, gamut, like some people come to me and they're all in on real food already. Like they know stuff, they just need tweaks. And then I have other clients that come to me and give me their food journal. And it's like, you know, breakfast is a Krispy Kreme donut and lunch is cocoa puffs or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, you just meet them wherever they're at and make yeah. baby steps. So if your normal breakfast is a donut, we say, let's try adding some protein to your donut. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we just take the littlest baby steps, make them doable. Yeah. Um, because parents, especially parents of picky eaters and undernourished kids, they do not have the capacity to make huge changes. It just overwhelms and they won't do anything. So mm. I've learned that it's, it's those little baby steps, even if it's a slow journey, but that's what makes the lasting change. And that's why... I always start with a three session program when I work with people. And I know some people are like, never do that. I always start with a single session and get clients. But I know that I can't help anybody that way when you're working with little kids. Like one session is just overwhelmed. Like, okay, well, then I can mm-hmm. give you 20 <laughs> steps here. But I know you're not going to do any of them. So we take yeah. it step by step, no matter where they're starting. Like I said, if it's a standard American diet, we start. Let's teach you some healthy fats. Let's just teach you, you know, what protein, healthy carbs and fats are together so you can keep your blood sugar balanced. You know, we, we just go through the basics. So do you coach people for quite a while then? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I usually start with three sessions that we do, you know, maybe six weeks apart. Um, and then if people want to continue on, but, um, I try to take it step by step. Yeah, I love that. You touched on something really important, and, and and that is like because let's say someone comes to you exactly that, like a Krispy Kreme for breakfast and Cocoa Puffs for lunch. Like my brain goes, ah, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, thinking about how. But in the same token, I, I like to say, well, let's ask the question, like why why we're in that situation. You know, um, mm-hmm. is it overwhelm, um, income status, uh, being you know like super busy, uh, just you know. We, we fall into these behavior patterns and there, there's also a perception that um, eating healthy is, is expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's an element of truth to it that like junk food, because, because of how junk food is incredibly cheap, it makes other relative in comparison, it makes healthy food seem expensive. But if we're considering, you know, uh, sort of the affordability of healthy calories, I think it's, it's not, not quite as severe, but um, just this idea that, you know, we, we got to take baby steps here because if you're in the place where you're you're doing a donut for breakfast and cereal for lunch because that's all you have the capacity to do. 
to try to create wholesale changes, you're going to have someone running away and just retreating back into old ingrained behavior patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I, you know, teach clients about good, better, best. Like you do your best. Like Mm -hmm. they'll be like, what if I can't eat grass fed beef and I can't buy this and I can't buy organic everything, you know, it's like, that's okay. Like, you know, eating a carrot is better than not eating a carrot, you know, obviously an organic carrots, you know, better, but if that's what you can afford and that's what you can do, then that's what you do. And that's okay. Like don't stress over it, you know, cause the stress itself is going to have a negative effect. So you're not going to get the benefit, you know, if you're stressing over it. So I would say, start where you're at, do your version of best. And, you know, over time that might change, but you start where you're at. Yeah. Interesting thought here from, again, from ghost Floof, um, which is a great name, by the way, <laughs> um, microwave meals, ready-made meals can be better for breakfast when it comes to kids at dinner, or even kids can take long to digest active or not. I think, I think what's being kind of expressed here is this idea that, um, you know, breakfast foods, if, if you're thinking like a, a carbohydrate based breakfast food can be fairly rapidly digested, whereas something that does include some protein and maybe even some vegetables in there means the meal is going to be digested a little bit slower. It's going to stick with you for a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, having that healthy balance, I always, I often start with breakfast when I'm working with parents. Cause you know, you see this whole food journal and you're like, okay, we got a lot of work to do here. Um, so <laughs> I'll start with like either breakfast or dinner. I'll just mm, you know, work yeah. on one meal at a time, even just like, okay, I see that they, all they had was like noodles and a hot dog. So <laughs> let's see if we can try to add like one vegetable per day or one fruit even per day. Like sometimes there's nothing like not a single fruit or vegetable. So I'll say, you know, we start with breakfast. Let's make sure we're having some kind of protein. And I always, you know, I try to focus on animal proteins if the kids are willing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I say, you know, let's try to get one fruit or vegetable in a day. And then we, you know, we take steps like, okay, let's try to have some, some type of fiber, you know, be a fruit with with breakfast and we'll have a vegetable in your lunch now. Or, you know, we just take those baby steps because that is so important to get that that balance and keep the kids going because starting the day with balanced blood sugar is, is huge. Hmm. How do you navigate the the social pressure that you might encounter? Because it, and, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, and, and I think I liked how you framed it, but I wanted to sort of bring it back to that a little bit because I think this is one thing that people really struggle with is the idea that, that the idea of conflict around food. I don't want to offend somebody by refusing what they offer or things like that. I don't I just don't want people to think I'm weird because I'm doing this. Um yeah. and, and it's and of course I look at it now and I go, man, that's really interesting that we were thought of for being weird for wanting to pursue health. Mm-hmm. For wanting to be as healthy as possible, that's seen as being weird. Yeah, isn't that mind blowing? Yeah, I know. How do, how do you and I that? is, is yeah, it something I mean, like because you've been doing it for so long that it's just like you know just comfortable with it? Or I mean, to a degree, like with my own family, but we do still struggle with. Like I said, my daughter's fourteen now, and she, you know, she'll go to youth group and like you know they ate X Y Z whatever it was, and it looked really good, but I didn't eat any, and um you know, she'll, they have dinner together, but she eats dinner before she goes. Um, I just try to like, like I said, keep that positive focus. And um, I tell her to like, be the change, you know, like if Mm. she's always worried, what if somebody notices or somebody asks me about it? I'm like, great. Like (laughs) if someone asks you, then that opens the door. Like just tell them why you don't eat it and like explain to them, like, you know, you, at 14, she knows so much about the body and nutrition and how it works more than most adults. I'm like, 
you know, tell them what gluten does to your brain. Tell them why you can't eat gluten. Tell them what food dye does to you. You know, explain it. I'm mm -hmm. like, they'll be fascinated. They'll be interested. They're not going to like criticize you. They'll probably be really interested. So I try to see it as that, you know, like I said, opening that door to start a conversation. And most people are really open to it. And even kids, like, I think all oh, kids can be cruel, but honestly, most kids are really fascinated by it and really open to learning. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think, I, I mean, I love that approach of just, um, saying, let's have a conversation about it. Uh, instead of let's have a confrontation about it. Mm -hmm. Let's not make this a big deal. Let's just have this conversation where we go. Um, and it might be the very reason that someone, um, reflects on their own habits. And I think this is why this can be a challenge as well, because this, when we watch somebody pursuing health, it usually means some degree of sacrifice and, and some degree of like difficult choices. But then, then we're forced to reflect on our own choices and our own behaviors. Mm -hmm. And sometimes seeing that mirror held up to us is uncomfortable as human beings. We go, oh, crap. Like, I have some really unhealthy habits and behaviors and stuff. And seeing someone be healthy means that I'm kind of, you know, because we have a society that's geared towards making us unhealthy. It's, it's, you know, this is not just a human sort of willpower, discipline sort of mm -hmm. level. This is the entire society is engineered to, you know, have us move as little as possible and eat as much junk as possible and feed our brain as much junk as possible. That's the world that we live in. This is why, like, being quote-unquote healthy means you're kind of a weirdo in a sense. You're not really a weirdo, of course. But, I mean, perceived as that, right? Yeah. Um, so... Um, but we've got a question here from Ginger who says, uh, any suggestions for navigating weight loss with a child who does eat healthy but struggles with emotional eating? Ginger, brilliant question. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, I love to focus on nervous system health. You know, health is not just your physical, like what you put in your body. It's not just the food. It's not just your lifestyle. It's also your nervous system plays a huge role mm -hmm. in how everything functions, your hormones, everything. So um, when I work with kids, um, I always make that a big component of it. I work with parents and I work with the kids too, to teach them just like simple things like awareness. Like when you're reaching for the junk food or whatever, because you're stressed, like stop for a minute and think, what am I feeling in my body? And then giving kids the tools of what they can do, you know, instead of I need to have ice cream, I need to have chocolate. Um, because if we don't deal with it when they're young, it's just going to, you know, compound as they get older. And it's going to be harder and harder to deal with that, harder to undo it. Um, so I'll teach, you know, they understand like what the fight response is. And if I'm in a fight response, I'm getting angry at my siblings and I just want to hit people because I'm so upset about something. What can I do? I can go punch my pillow. I can take a little walk. I can move my body in some way to diffuse the energy, you know, if I'm in a flight response, and I just want to run away from the situation, you know, what can I do, you know, I can take a couple minutes to just breathe, I can, you know, teach them tools to, you know, tapping, or whatever it is to calm the nervous system for a minute until they can think clearly, and be like, okay, now I can handle this, you know, feeling whatever it is. Um, so just empowering kids mm -hmm. to do that. I love to empower the kids to take responsibility themselves. You know, even six, seven, eight-year-old, you know, they can have that awareness of what they're feeling in their body and what they can do about it. I always feel like kids have more awareness because they haven't been like, you know. Deconditioned. Yeah. Or <laughs> when yes. it's all the bullshit that adults. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I love to give them, to empower them, to give them those tools when they're young. Yeah. I love that you teach them tapping too. And like, cause I feel like when I bring those types of things up to adults, they're like, shit's weird. Don't think so. And then it's yeah. hard to get them to find other stress management techniques. Mm-hmm. And I all think it's a lot of it's just because they think it's weird. Right. It, it goes back to this idea of why, why we're so uncomfortable with pursuing health. And I think that, that's, that'd make a great conversation. And actually, Mary, as you were sharing there, I was like, Mary, I think I have to introduce you to Lindsay Miller if you don't know her yet. She, mm-hmm. she goes with the stress nanny. Okay. And uh, I think you two would have a really, really fascinating conversation uh, around this. Um, so I'll, she has a podcast. I'll, uh, now, as I'm thinking out loud, out live, I'm like, I'll make a connection with you afterwards, <laughs> Lindsay, because you two have a great chat about that. But I think what's really cool about what you're doing here is you're saying equip your kid with tools, depending where whatever stage of life they're at um because and, and caitlin you're right you point out that we as, as children maybe very often we're kind of taught to ignore what we're feeling don't cry i think of a classic one right i mean mm-hmm. uh, especially especially as men right we're taught like in other words suppress your emotions don't let people mm-hmm. see those emotions and when that becomes our normal um then it, it becomes strange to go and no, actually listen to your emotions it doesn't mean be recklessly guided by them or emotions you know my, when my emotions are high, it might suggest that I go eat an entire pizza. Like it's not, you know, but, but at least be aware. I, I call them the check engine light, right? Comes on and says something needs your attention. And Mary, what you're suggesting here is giving people some tools to work with and go, Hey, you know, here's, here's like, go punch your pillow. I love that. <laughs> go give your kill just to punch that pillow right in the face, you know, <laughs> take that out, <laughs> like do something. And I love that you're talking about the nervous system because I, I talk about this with my clients a lot, but I feel very few people talk about it from the perspective of nervous system health. Mm-hmm. And I think, you mentioned something like gluten affecting um, your daughter's brain, for example, and food dyes, because they are for, for certain people, I think neuro excitatory. We, we mm-hmm. think, Oh, it's, it's just a little bit of whatever. And the FDA has said it's safe and so on. But in reality, uh, some people will process it differently. I know Caitlin, <laughs> you're chuckling there at the sort of the FDA and, and quote unquote safe, yeah, you know, safe right. doesn't mean ideal or optimal. Um, so what, what is it about, uh, let's just say food dye, for example, what, what's your, been your sort of experience or observation with that? And what was the changes you saw when you started to pay attention to that maybe remove that? Yeah. I mean, the food dye was one of the biggest, just her ability to think. And like, like I said, I would say it's like a veil was lifted from mm-hmm. her eyes. It was like, she was in a fog before, like you talked to her, but like, like, I don't, I don't think he's actually getting through to you. You know, like, are you there? I'm not sure. It's like, you're talking through her. Um, so when we cut out the gluten and the food dyes and especially the food dyes, it was like, it was like the lights came on, you know, like you could just see it, like the brightness in her eyes came back and like kind of a conversation with her and like engaging. And yeah, it was like, she just turned on. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and we, it's, it's funny because, um, we, we just kind of like normalize them again. This mm-hmm. is, you know, brightly colored cereals or brightly colored candies and whatnot. And they're made that way by food manufacturers to draw our eyes in because there is sort of a, I could say we say like an evolutionary or part of our biology, pardon me, where we're drawn to colors, like say colorful fruits on trees. That stands out. Like that's something that's potentially edible. Unless that happens to be a poison berry and you discover by accident when it's a little too late. But um you know, and, and so I think that's one of the challenges we're up against. Uh, Ghost Flu uh, shares again, KFC is so good though. And and really, and I think that's a fair statement. And here's why. This food is very, very carefully engineered to mm-hmm. create a specific response in your brain. And so it does feel good. It does have an addictive quality to it. It's it's deliberately engineered to be that. And, and the reality is if we want to be healthy, um, 
it's never not going to be that. <laughs> you know, I was, I was chatting with a client earlier today and we were just talking about how, you know, he walked past the line of pastries at breakfast and grabbed an apple instead. And it was a struggle because those pastries are still going to taste good. And junk food tastes good, but <laughs> because it's engineered to do that and create a certain response in the brain. And that's one of the sort of uncomfortable realities we have to come to terms with in this modern world that we live in, that junk food isn't going anywhere. Junk food marketing isn't going anywhere. So then we have to stand up and kind of be our own health advocates. So uh, I guess where I'm, I'm steering this is how, do you, how would you um, sort of, I guess, steer people or recommend that people become better like self-advocates? I mean, it's tough, you know, we, we do live in this world, everything's processed and everything is fast. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look at it as those things. I don't view them as food. Mm, you know, I actually, this is food. This is food stuff. It's <laughs> kind of looks products. like food, you know, but it's not really food. So just again, back to mindset of, you know, what is food like simplify it. I'm, I'm huge on simple. Like I've got four kids. I homeschool. I'm a practitioner. Like I'm busy. Like I don't, I don't do complicated meals or anything. So just simple. Like you don't have to have, you know, create this homemade, whatever, like just have a carrot, just have an apple, like dip some carrots in sun butter or an apple and the you know, almond butter, like just simple, like don't complicate it. And yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of mindset, um, but view food for what it is and, you know, just open your eyes to the reality of the marketing, the, yeah. you know, the toxins, the, all of it, and just yeah. really step back and simplify everything. Like just eating, you know, some roasted chicken and some veggies and potatoes for dinner. Like it's simple, so simple. Yeah. And it's just what? real food. I think there was an author, there was, I'm tr I believe he wrote a book called In Defense of Food. I think that's the name of the book. So, but it's going back quite a few years now. But what, what he's talking about is, is exactly that, this difference between food and food products mm -hmm. and recognizing. But again, I think we, I, I love your idea. Like here, let's simplify this because there is a, maybe um, there's been a glorification of health culture through social media mm -hmm. that like, look at my like, artistically perfect, you know, piece of avocado toast with a carefully arranged slice of tomato that makes a gorgeous picture on Instagram. You got four kids who got, who has time for that? I'm like, kid, you know, here's your chopped up veggie fritter, like munch on it. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I do I, like, sometimes I make this stuff, like we make our own graham crackers. I make sourdough bread, like mm -hmm. I make our own regular crackers. So it's like, it's not that we don't eat those things sometimes. It's just, you know, like they're extras. They're not, yeah. You know, even those, yeah. I'm like, I used to make them all the time. I'm like, you know, we don't need crackers all the time. Like, it's okay to just have, you know, a veggie or something or a piece of fruit. Like, you don't have to have a, a cracker. Yeah. Like, just yeah, a piece I of fruit is fine. Like, a lot of times when I have people starting out, I'm like, look, when you're changing your diet, I get that it's fun to go to Pinterest and like find recipes and they're like trying to create a meal plan. I'm like, keep it simple. Don't do more than one new recipe a week. Like if you want to try a recipe, do one, because if you pick more than one, you're going to spend hours in the kitchen. You're going to have a ginormous mess. And then next week when you're trying it's time to meal prep, you're not going to want to do it or touch it again because you've just made it way more complicated than it needs to be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, I like the idea of um, outsourcing my cooking to appliances. Um, that, yeah. That's how I like to put it. So um, I have a slow cooker, an instant mm-hmm. pot, a rice cooker, and an air fryer. Yeah. And so I'm like, and an oven, of course. And none of these things require monitoring. So I'm like, okay, uh, throw a scoop. And I have like the sequence. It's like, okay, throw the meat in the instant pot to defrost, you know, because that's going to take a little bit longer. Then we'll do the rice because that's going to take the next step. And I'm a big proponent of frozen veg. Uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. we don't have a huge... Um, growing season and so frozen veg you know it's not perfect but i'm like uh, i'm busy in a different way you know i i run a business i have a, I have, a, I have a kid and I have a few other responsibilities outside of the business that i run that just mean like hey it feels like there's not a lot, a lot a lot of time on the clock it is tempting to just go hey let me push a few buttons on my phone and have food delivered to my door that's gonna be delicious um what but if i figured out i could make a healthy meal in under 10 minutes that could mm-hmm. serve say four people or five people just by sort of following this basic strategy and and that's kind of how I how, how I navigate it. So yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> when your kids get older, they can do it yeah. for you. So yeah, I put <laughs> I put a beef roast in the crock pot this morning, and then this afternoon my kids chop potatoes and carrots, so I could just toss them in the oven. And beauty. When we're done talking, dinner will be ready. <laughs> Maybe it's time for you to start. To, I mean, you need to have a crew of kids there, Caitlin. Go for four or five. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you on the oven. You on the instant pot. <laughs> yeah. And that is another important thing is teaching kids to cook and getting them in the kitchen with you is another huge aspect of yeah. teaching them about real food, teaching them about nutrition, how to care for themselves, and even those picky eaters, you know, getting them in the kitchen to help. You know, my kids help every week with meal planning at a minimum. Mm. Like, you know, what meal do you want? What meal do you want? So they each get to yeah. pick something. So they know there's something they'll really like. And then, you know, if we have the time, if they're able, then they help with the prep too. You know, my seven-year-old, she loves to cook meat. So she loves, if there's like ground beef, she loves to cook the ground beef. Um, You know, she was using sharp knives at like age four, chopping up veggies for me. Like kids can be quite young and do so much in the kitchen. Um, And now like at 14, my oldest, you know, she can make full meals if I need her to. So yeah, I watch mm. the stories and I see your kids cook, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I think it was your daughter that was making a whole meal or something. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah, That's she awesome. likes to cook. Um, like for my birthday, she'll plan and cook a whole meal. Or for like our anniversary uh-huh. or something, she'll plan something special and make it. <laughs> That's, that's, so a, that's cool. absolutely amazing. And and maybe this is a good good one to sort of um tie things together on. Maybe the last last point to touch on really how, you know, how do we get kids involved in this so that they because my my inclination is that if a kid can have like access to the food and and sort of preparation and see it being made, they're maybe a lot less likely to be picky than mm-hmm. if something's just plunked in front of them and they're told you must eat this. Yeah, absolutely. So Get them involved in any step of the process. Like I said, take them to the grocery store with you. Um, that was one of the saddest things for me during COVID was not seeing any kids at the grocery stores. Um, mm. I always, you know, we homeschool, so my kids are with me. So I almost always take all of my kids with me and they help bagging and picking everything. Um, but taking them to the store and like whenever I take my kids, it's inevitable. What am, can we have such and such? Let's try that fruit. Let's try that vegetable. I've never seen that before. What is that? You know? So get them interested, get them, you know, going grocery shopping. I mean, even like helping write a grocery list, help them, you know, with budgeting, like here's what we have. Um, just those life skills that are going to serve them for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, helping prep, helping meal plan, 
Um, if they go to school, they can pack their own lunches. You know, after dinner and you're cleaning things up, they could pack up their own lunches of leftovers or whatever. Um, they can take on breakfasts. You know, if you're busy in the morning, they can be in charge of breakfast, so their own breakfast. Like kids can do so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think because uh, and Ghost Loof again shared, you know, seeing my teenagers flash before my eyes. Yeah, can ask some of my kids when they're grown. Yeah, how, how many kids have you got there, Ghost Loof? Um, I imagine you also have a real name, but we'll go by Ghost Loof. Um, <laughs> uh, but just this idea, because I think parents also feel overwhelmed, maybe because mm-hmm. they don't engage their kids in the process, but because I think you do some homeschooling, you, you're kind of used to instructing your kids and and uh, making them a part of the process and teaching them some degree of independence. And somewhere along the way, we started outsourcing parenting to appliances in the mm-hmm. wrong way, like parents to digital technology. And and I understand the temptation. Like we, you know, we have family overseas, so we do use uh, like Skype or uh, WhatsApp or something for um, communicating with my, my wife's family in Australia. So my kid knows like what a, a phone is for like talking to people, but we, we work really hard to keep them away from any other mm-hmm. usage of screens because, again, we recognize what it does to a developing brain. But that's more work. And I think my wife, you know, one time she was just so frustrated, you know, because she's like, why is it so darn hard to, like, make healthy food for this kid? You know, but over the time, she's kind of fi- she's got a system figured out, you know. She she blends up the veggies, makes these fritters for him that he likes, and he has a fritter, like, every night. He has oatmeal every morning with blueberries, and he, he, he loves that stuff. He's just like, yeah. um. You know, and so there is going to be a learning curve that's going to feel frustrating and difficult. But uh, ultimately, I think, you know, hearing you, you know, have a 14 year old who makes full meals. I'm like, great. That's what I need. (laughs) We have more kids. So, yeah, uh, like I always say, just baby steps. And like my oldest, like I had her in the kitchen with me at nine months old, like, you know, making cookie dough and different things like I mean, every little thing like I would help have her help me with, especially, you know, being my first like. She was always there with me. So just having them in the kitchen with you, even if they're just like playing in the kitchen and you're cooking, you can talk to them about it. You can ask them questions. They smell it They're They see you making the food, just having them in that environment. Yeah. And, um, Zyriel, sorry, I probably got that one wrong, but you got three stepdaughters, three, five, nine. So you have, you have time to like start training them. You got five Mm -hmm. years before your oldest is going to, you know, (laughs) reaches the mark of like making full meals and uh, Ginger tuning in says fantastic ideas here. Sorry to tune in late, but really appreciate all the info. Absolutely. And, and actually maybe, um, Mary, where can people find you? Uh, if they, if they want to know more, what what is it you do? Yeah. My site is just take a bite.com. You know, I think the name came out of my frustration. <laughs> Me <and> my own <laughs> kids. Think of it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. So so they can just look up on all, all so and we'll put this in the show notes anyways in the description of the video and whatnot. But it's just just take a bite. Um, they can look it up on the various social channels. They're going to find you there, or they can yeah. find Mary Votes uh, somewhere as well. Um, as I learned, that's the correct pronunciation of the name. Well, to take it home then, what, what's uh, kind of one final piece of wisdom that you would just like to share with people who might be struggling with some issues around their kids and yeah, food, I guess. Um, So, I mean, don't be afraid to reach out for help. I know sometimes as parents, you know, you feel like you have to have it all together and you've got social media and all this and you see all these other families and everything's perfect. And if you're struggling, don't be afraid to reach out. Like when my mm. kids were little, we're really struggling I suffered alone, like, especially when my youngest daughter was really, really struggling. I was like, there is nobody to help me. Nobody wants to help me. The doctor won't help me. It's like, there's no formula I could give her, like, you know, nursing her every 45 minutes, tiny bits, 
is the only thing keeping her alive. And I was like, you know, I felt like I was so alone and I never wanted another parent struggling like that to have to feel that. So don't hesitate to reach out, whether it's, you know, it can be just a friend, a relative, a doctor, a practitioner, whatever, like you don't have to go it alone if you're really struggling mm-hmm. and don't feel bad. You know, so many parents struggle with feeding their kids and whether yeah, it's yeah. a severe feeding issue or just a, like a daily annoyance, like my kid will only eat peanut butter and jelly and he will, yeah. you know, throws a tantrum if I put a carrot on his plate. And that's, and that's the reality. My, my oldest son used to literally run from this table screaming if I put one slice of carrot on his plate. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've had, you've had your fair share of challenges. Yeah. So but... like, don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to reach out for help because hmm. um, it's there, it's available and yeah. you need it. And that's super important because we're, we're all kind of doing the best we can, but these kids don't come with an instruction manual and every kid is, is going to be different. And, and, and so we kind of have to figure it out as we go. Like none of us really know exactly what we're doing. And, and you've, you've had four kids and every one has, has been different and you've, you've had to learn something different for each one of them. And so I think that's, that's a super important thing to thing to share. And maybe just one last question. If people want to work with you, do you re- work um, remotely as well? Or do you, is it only an in-person practice? Yes, I work all virtually all remotely. Okay. So people can, uh, they can be like anywhere uh, all around the world, uh, really, in a sense. And yeah, I mean, to do hair analysis, I usually only do us, um, Sometimes Canada, there are a few mm-hmm. countries that I can work with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for everyone who's been um, tuning in and, and sharing. And we did have one last question. A lot of people didn't ask me how much time is needed between a kid's last meal and when they go to bed. And I always remember five hours. That's my number one rule. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Zyreal, <laughs> maybe I got it right this time. You tried, you tried to type it out for us. So that's awesome. But appreciate everybody tuning in and being a part of the broadcast as well. And for those listening after the fact, thank you so much. And We'll see you next time. We are starting this Deep Health Academy and trying to start to change the narrative around what it means to get healthy and fit and to lead a fulfilling life. Because in the end, this is what our clients come to us for, whether they think they want a six pack or not, right? Like for the vast majority of people, if they do manage to achieve that goal, they still are the same person they were before they had a six pack. And a lot of the issues that they were feeling haven't been resolved. So there's mindsets, beliefs, identities, and we have to bring them into our conscious awareness. If we're going to create change, the process of bringing into our conscious awareness can be uncomfortable because now we're going to see our flaws as they are. We're going to see ourselves without the filter, but with compassion, we can look at it with a curious desire to understand. And so compassion and awareness is where we create transformation.